Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Do you honestly believe that? Seriously, I am the place where God lives moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. That is a tall order. And in unity and new thought, that is a foundational teaching. And it comes with a certain sense of responsibility and humility. Because as we were talking in the metaphysical group this morning, many of us, some of us, were not taught that when we were kids, or found ourselves in a world that said that people who look like you or come from where you come from, that doesn't apply to you. And yet, foundational to all of our New Thought teachings is that each and every one of us is an individualized expression of the creative magnificence of that which we call God. That's not bragging. That is a statement of fundamental being. And yes, many of us, if not all of us, at some point or another in our lives will have a moment, at least one, of doubt. Could that possibly be true? That's why I love Eddie Watkins' song. He tells a story when he wrote that it was just a spiritual download in a moment of doubt was an affirmation that came to him, you know who you are. You are not your circumstances. You're not where you came from. Right now, you are the place where God shows up, as you always are the place where God shows up. I love that, and it scares the daylights out of me, because it's a tall order. But with gentleness and humility, we can live into that at any moment and at every moment of our lives. It gives us freedom to appreciate who we are. It gives us the freedom to not be in any box. It gives us freedom to let our light shine in the way that only we can let our light shine. And it's a lot of fun to just be yourself. There ain't nobody else going to do it for you. So you might as well lean into it. So we are in a series of talks here at Unity of Fairfax uh, around these idea, the idea of paradox and how do we live with paradoxes? How do we live with the experience that two uh, ideas can be true at the same time? How do we balance that? And on the 14th, we talked about the idea of activism and asceticism, basically saying that the way in which we contribute and bring ourselves to life and to the world must be balanced with the times and the ways in which we we simply step aside and tend to our own spirit. Our being undergirds and supports our doing. Or put the other way around, our doing is grounded in our being. We, we must balance those two things so that we can be effective in our service, effective in letting our light shine, while at the same time not burning our light out. That's the upshot of it. You know, the, the scripture says that, you know, we, we are called to be active in the world, right? 
But the scripture says we must love one another. It doesn't mean we necessarily have to like one another. And in order to be engaged, we have to make sure we are tending to our spirit. Last week, Reverend Sandra Butler gave a message of the paradox of pessimism and idealism. How many of you watched or were here for that presentation? Great. To those of you who had your hands up, I say watch it again. And those of you who were not here or those of you who were at home and didn't see it, watch it on our website, the video link. I called Reverend Sandy and I said, Sandy, that was the most powerful unity talk I have seen in many, many years. Reverend Sandra Butler is one of the greatest minds in the unity movement. And the fact that we have her teaching in our community is a blessing. She helps us in, in that message, helps us to be patient with ourselves and to be present with the facts of the world and not lose sight of the capital T truth of good. And how timely as we are bombarded with a tsunami of information that would lead us to question the validity of our idealism. But in her divinely inspired way, she provides, provided wonderful tools for being present to what is and not being overwhelmed. I am forever grateful to her. And, and I've told her to her face, and I'll tell you all too, I fell in love with Reverend Sandy the day we met her. We're still in love. Right, Anthony? Absolutely. The, the church lady we met at Wegmans. There's a story there. I'll tell you another time. Today, we want to look at this paradox of being human and divine at the same time. You've heard, you hear a lot about that in a unity church or setting. So how do we live with the paradox and the understanding of being only human and yet affirming our divinity all the time? So I have a question about that. How many of you were alive in 1986? Uh, oh, yeah, past, past millennium in the house. Remember that song by the Human League came out in 1986? I'm only human of flesh and blood I'm made. Now, I realize the word only is a four-letter word, and we don't use that kind of language in the church house, but so if you'll indulge me on that one. Uh, it's a song about two people in relationship whose behavior was not appropriate for two people in relationship. We'll just leave it at that. But it left a mark in my mind as a young man in 1986. It's like, am I only human? Aren't we all only human? And that was even before I found unity because there was something within me that said, I'm more than that. I am more than just this skin suit which is getting bigger uh, by the day, it would seem. My, my growth in consciousness seems to have a corresponding uh, representation in the physical realm. Not really ideal. Let me just put it to that way. But there are some paradoxes we live with, and human and divine being one of them. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to quickly review four paradoxes that we consider when we think about the nature of divinity itself. The first one is this idea of principle and personal. We, we talk in unity in New Thought Circles about the divine is spiritual principle, these wonderful divine ideas of life and love and wisdom and all that. And we talk about the world functioning according to spiritual principles. And that's true. And at the same time, it is also true that as individuals, we experience this 
divine principle in very uniquely personal ways. And sometimes we'll talk about our encounter with the divine in very personal languaging. So it seems like there's a paradox there, principle and personality, and yet they are one and the same, and we can hold those as one and the same. Another one is the idea of imminent and transcendent. We experience divinity in our day-to-day lives in wonderful ways. We watch the change of the seasons. We, we fall in love and experience that. We, we, we see seeming miracles happen. So the presence and power of the divine is expressed in our everyday simple lives. And yet we also take it as a matter of faith that, that the divine, that God is even beyond the farthest galaxy. It's already there. There's no spot where God is not, we sometimes say. So we can know divinity is an imminent experience, and we can conjecture and experience the divine as something out of this world. And Julie is a rocket scientist, so maybe you can share a little more about that later on about that. She really is a rocket scientist. I myself opted for brain surgery. (laughs) Not really. Another way in which we describe the divine, which is paradoxical, is we'll often use the term mother-father to define and to reference the divine. In unity, we recognize that when we say mother, we're talking about the receptive, nurturing aspects of divinity. And when we say father, we're talking about the active, creative aspects of divinity. So it's kind of like the yin-yang symbol that you may be familiar with, um, a complete whole that seems to be opposite. So we will talk about the feminine principle of the divine, the masculine principle of the divine, understanding that each and every one of us represents and has those same energies for ourselves. And that being said, really, the, uh, and if we look in the Hebrew scriptures, the pronoun that's more appropriate to describe divinity would be they and them rather than simply he and his. We, we use pronouns in place of a noun, but it is, the, the, unfortunately, we don't have a specific divine pronoun. I wish we did, one that was completely expansive of all of life. So today's topic, a new understanding of the idea of law and grace. You know, Jesus taught a new understanding of the divine law, and he acknowledged the mechanical law of cause and effect, but he knew it was possible to fulfill the law by transcending its strictly mechanical repetition. This can be done only by certain changes in consciousness. One of these changes is to let go of the the insistence on equal exchanges in life all the time. Another is to be willing to forgive sin instead of insisting on the punishment for sin. This is some old text from a unity curriculum from many years ago. Grace is the name given to the divine aspect of law, which does not deal in even exchanges, but in the increase of good through greater giving. So, yes, opposite, you know, um, there, there are laws that happen in the world, divine law, but there's also the idea of grace. And somebody once put it to me this way. Grace is when you get better than you earn and you don't get nearly the bad that you've earned. <laughs> so it's kind of a balancing thing. So there are spiritual laws under which the world operates, but there's also this idea of grace, kindness, love in its myriad forms. 
So even in our ideas and our concepts of divinity, we deal with paradoxes. So it's no surprise, therefore, that we experience these paradoxes in our day-to-day lives. And how do we balance the idea of being human and divine at the same time? So many of us are familiar with the famous quote by the French priest and paleontologist Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, who said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Does that resonate with anyone? I am, I am more than just this body. Yeah. Interestingly enough, he had one sister and she became a nun. Um, that's just an aside. Might be a Jeopardy question. So you'll be glad you were here. So write that down. So this balance of this human and divinity, what happens? Why don't we just automatically know that? Writing in Psychology Today, uh, interfaith minister and social worker Nancy Collier said, it seems that we come into this world with an innate wisdom and knowing of our infinite and spiritual nature, but through our conditioning and just life as it unfolds, we forget how magnificent we truly are. You could say that we get smaller and begin believing that we are or that we are or what we are believing that who we are or what we are made of is just a resume of the roles we play, our successes and failures, the opinions we hold, and the problems we need to solve. You get that? She's saying we're, we're born into this world from the infinite, and our world actually gets smaller as we start adopting roles and responsibilities and our experiences and our thoughts. The number one thing that makes us forget our true nature as spiritual beings is thought, or more specifically, our fascination with thoughts. From the time we were very young, we devote most of our life's energy and attention to our thoughts. And truth be told, most of them are not that interesting or helpful. <laughs> I mean, think about how many times do we ruminate on the things we're not, or what we did wrong, or what somebody said, or what I can't do, or what I should have done. So many of the negatives. These are not helpful, but we spend, we generalizing to all of us, more or less, a lot of energy and I say spend energy rather than invest it in this idea of who we're not. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with the world? She goes on to say, because a thought appears in our awareness, we assume that we must believe it. Because we are conditioned to believe that we are our thoughts, we assume that we must pay attention to every thought that occurs. But this is a false assumption. She goes on to say, thoughts are just going to happen. They happen all the time. You don't control them. They just come from wherever they come from. And we have a choice. Which ones do we want to attain? Do we want to hold on to and say, yeah, I really believe this? Or which is a thought that is better left unattended and let it go? Which thoughts, she says, it is up to us to, to want to be in relationships with the thoughts that vie for our attention. This fixation with our thoughts causes us to be lost in a trance most of our lives not actually who we truly are. You ever think about that? Am I really my thoughts? Or is this kind of an illusion I've chosen to believe? Because thoughts come, they go, we, feelings come and they go. They aren't necessarily generated by us. They aren't necessarily the truth of who we're being. I'll tell you, I've had all kinds of awful, horrible thoughts today already. And I've been able to, for the most part, I think, maybe, hopefully, knock on wood, Look at them and decide, you know, this one I'm not going to, this really isn't me. It just crossed my mind. It's like watching cars go through an intersection. You know, that car I do want. 
And all these others, not so much. Just let them go. Which ones are we going to hang on to? Which ones really are the truth of who we are and which are just passing by, trying to find a hitchhiker, trying to get us to get in and go their negative way? Which begs the question all of us have to ask on a regular basis, if we are on a spiritual path, and I assume you are, who am I? There is a question that Jesus asked his disciples, and it occurs in three of the four Gospels, in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And he basically goes to them and he says, who do people say that I am? And after a variety of answers, each one, in each one of these stories, they land on this line. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, it was interesting. I did a detailed study of the answers that they gave. And would you believe not one of the disciples said to him, you are the accumulation of your limited thoughts about yourself. <laughs> and if you were to ask anybody in your circle, who do people say that I am? They would probably not look you in the eye and say, you are the accumulation of all of your limited thoughts about who you are they would see something much bigger than that. You know, we have these beautiful flowers here. We remembered the life of our beautiful friend, Janice Markham, yesterday. And I was thinking about who would people say that she is, is, still is. She is the Christ, the daughter of the living God, continuing to love us today. That's the truth about all of us, individualized expressions of the creative power of the magnificent. We are not only human. We are not a song from 1986. In our scriptures, there's a, one of my favorites. It appears in Colossians uh, chapter 1, 20, verse 27. Paul is writing and he's saying to the people, he says, um, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. Oh, he was a minister. I totally get it. That was funny. I'm now, thank you. It's not funny now if I have to tell you what's funny. So I'm now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. I became its minister according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, that's you, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and strive with all the energy that he powerfully inspires me. What he's saying here is this same message in the verbiage of the time. You are not only human. You are so much more than that. You are so much more than what anybody may have said about you. You are an embodiment of all that God is. Growing into that awareness, that's a lifelong process. And I'm not sure where we're going to get it perfect, 
But as they say in some circles, ours is a program of progress, not perfection. And for us to continue to grow into our awareness of the fullness of who we truly are, we must be gentle with ourselves. We must be gentle with all others. Because this is a tremendously powerful, transformative work. And ultimately, it is not easy because of our habit of falling back into negative thought patterns. So the great thing is when you catch yourself falling into a negative thought pattern about who you are or what the world is, and you can say, yay me, I caught myself doing it. I'm going to think something else. And what I'm going to think is, join me. I am the place where God lives, moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. Can I get an amen? One of the things I do in service to the unity movement is I mentor ministerial candidates who are on the path to ordination. One of my current mentees is Reverend Amanda Miranda Coburg at Unity in Greensboro, North Carolina, and she'll be cleared for ordination uh, this year. In one of her assignments, she wrote about this topic, and I want to share just a small snippet with you because she speaks to the heart of this human divine paradox and why it is and how it is that we in unity instill this consciousness in our youth because her specialty is in youth and family ministry. She wrote, if the nature of personhood is divinity, then we must be able to treat them as such in mundane matters as well. We can't take the approach of you're divine, but only in your spiritual practice. We have to be willing to put our beliefs into action and see the Christ in others in all sorts of situations. This doesn't mean people won't make mistakes or should be trusted with all things, but it does mean that everyone should be given a chance to see where they can apply their personal gifts. Everyone should be lifted up, supported, and trained in order to grow their skills and also their awareness of their own divine nature. I was told through all my Youth of Unity experience that I was powerful, divine, and could do whatever I put my mind to. Reverend Miranda has given me permission to share this with you. And when she is ordained, she'll be one of the very few Unity ministers ordained in her 20s. But what a grace and what a gift. She is the place where God shows up. You are the place where God shows up. The truth is, we are all the place where God shows up. Peace be with you. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 11 a.m. or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.